As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light joined by Ari Wasserman. And Ari, as someone who now hosts podcasts like you after hosting the Andy Staples show earlier this week, you have any critiques of how I my intro there? I know you're an expert now. Yeah, I mean, you can make it more grabby. Okay. I didn't at least, well, I was going to say I didn't ask how I did immediately like you did, but I guess I literally just you asked literally how I did. You literally just did that. Yes. Yeah. So. Um, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it gave me a nice newfound respect for all the work you guys have to put in. Uh, you know, I did zero prep for that show. <laughs> I, I listened. Uh, I could tell. Thanks. Uh, no, but it's, it's difficult. It's, it's, it's a different type of podcasting for sure. Like I'm just used to having a discussion and I was trying to be more structured, but you know, the next go around, I think I'm going to, I'll get better at it. No, in, in all seriousness, it was good. You had Pete Sampson on and Pete's outstanding. And, uh, you know, once you get going, it's just having a conversation, but there are, mm-hmm. you know, certain things you need to. You, you, you need to, uh, d- to do to host a podcast, but um, I'm excited. We talked earlier today. I think we're both excited for the show. It's kind of like the middle of March, not much happening. You know, a lot of our shows, we've got one subject, one huge piece of news that kind of takes up most of the show. Not today. A lot of stuff to get to. We're going to talk about some of the stories you've done recently, and then we got some fun mailbag questions, and we're going to rank the last 10 schools that play FBS football that have won national championships in basketball, we're going to rank them from the, the likelihood of them winning a football title. That was probably confusing. I probably could have said it more succinctly, but that's what we're going to do. Um, and then, of course, we've got trivia. So It was pretty eye-opening, though, of just like how hard it is to be truly great at both. And, and I stole that. I didn't read his answer yet. I've got it open <laughs> my tab. I noticed one of the questions in Stu Mandel's mailbag this week was about asking about programs, can they be blue bloods in both? So that's not really what we're asking here. It's just I, we're doing a ranking based off that. So um, we can go a lot of places. Let's start, Ari, with your column that ran in The Athletic today um, about Jordan Johnson, Ruble, a four, a five, five star, right? Five star safety. No, four star. Okay. He's the a top, top 100, 100 player, though. Yeah. Right. From, from Texas, who goes to IMG. 
And like a lot of kids, he says the same thing. You know, he's, he's looking at all the same schools. He's making the visits. But where is he going for a spring? Where is he going in April for the spring game? And why is that important? Um, well, he's going to Colorado. But the thing that kind of drew me to him more than anything is, is that, you know, and maybe this isn't as unique as I thought it was, but he could go anywhere he wants to go. And that's kind of the case with most top 100 players or at least top 50 players. But like when you think about the schools that he is considering uh, and the options that he has, he literally could take his life in any direction that he sees fit. Um, And that means direction from a program standpoint, but also geographically, you know, uh, he is from Texas. So he has all the Texas schools after him. He plays in Florida. So he has all the Florida schools after him at IMG. Uh, He has been on a visit to USC, Ohio State, Michigan want him, Alabama wants him like from the buffet line of player has world at his fingertips like this is truly the most expansive list that you could come up with in terms of how he wants to decide where he wants to go. And I thought that was fascinating because, you know, you're used to the blue bloods or the Florida schools or all the Texas schools or Alabama, Ohio state, Michigan being a part of these types of recruitments. But what jumps out to me is that he's going to Colorado for the spring game. So on top of all of those things or those places, all of whom have really unique sales pitches, really, when you like go break it down, USC needs to fix its defense. It's defense. He's a, he's a defensive back. Uh, Michigan wants to get over the top and, win a playoff game and continue to try to grab the big 10 away from Ohio state, Ohio state's trying to win its first national championship and going on a decade. Now, Alabama's trying to take it back from Georgia. All three Florida schools are trying to build something like all of his options, you know, Texas and Texas A&M are joining a conference together and it's going to be truly head to head on the field. And both have recruited very well the last few years, which one's going to win the Texas battle, you know, and it's just not only are they, they interesting dynamics, uh, but they're also just whatever you could possibly want. There's an answer for. So now you toss Colorado into the mix and you're going to play or potentially play for a program. That's probably got the furthest. Well, not probably absolutely has the furthest to go in it's build Mitch, but also is coached by Deion Sanders. So add that to the buffet line of decisions that this guy has to make. And it's a very fascinating thing. And you and I work together on this column idea. Um, Basically saying that like Deion Sanders has had a lot of success so far at Colorado, but it's a recruitment like this to me that is long and drawn out where visits are are currently happening and going to happen in the future. Uh, Can Colorado win this recruitment? Because if you look at all the the recruitments that Deion has won, and this isn't a criticism, it's just what has happened or the way it's occurred based on his timeline. um, He's gotten into the year of a guy whose recruitment has already been settled for the most part. And it was managed to you know convince him to flip, whether that be Travis Hunter from Florida state to Jackson state or Cormani McLean last year from Miami. Like, can he win not just this recruiting battle, but can he win a collection of recruiting battles that are situated like this one? And I think that this is like a nice little litmus test for what Colorado ceiling actually is from a, a full cycle uh, Dion from start to finish uh, standpoint. So right, right. did you agree with that? Yeah, or? yeah. I, I think the point you made towards the end and you kind of just said, but to me was the most important is like the splashes are great. We're not, we didn't doubt that Dion could make the splashes, but can he, can he like the go through the grind of a full cycle 
and sign seven, eight, nine, ten top 100 guys, which you need to to build a roster equivalent of Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State. I don't think we doubt he can do it. He just, is that the is bar, a- though? Is that the bar? Because like that's the thing that I've also struggled with, too, is like, you know, Deion Sanders is a I don't think there's a recruiter. bar with Deion because he's just so unique. I but honestly what do you, don't. What would, a, what would a successful five-year period look like to you for Deion Sanders when it comes to recruiting results? Um, it's hard, right? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think here's what my expectations are for Dion. If he stays at Colorado for five years, I honestly yeah. think he could sign four top 100 players next year or this 24 and then just gradually, and that would be successful. Too. Yeah. Yes. I think that'd be successfully successful. I think there's still going to be, there's going to be a lot of kids. We'll see that the signing period, you know, the kids commit early. I think if they exceed expectations on the field this year, that's going to be enormous because there's going to be a group of kids that are going to want to go play for Dion no matter what. Sight unseen, he's Dion. Even if they struggle this year, I believe in Dion. But let's say they go seven and five and they make a bowl game or something, and they just and they're really fun and exciting. There's another pocket of recruits that we're gonna we're sitting back saying, "Hey, I want to see him do it on the field." Now they're going to start considering Colorado. But I, I really, I mean, do, I, how much do you think that actually matters though? When the other options are. Alabama, Ohio State, all the Florida schools, Texas, Texas A and M, and USC. I think winning matters a lot. I think it's no, enormous. I know, but if if, he, if they care a lot about winning, then there are ten other options for these types of prospects to go but it's to. Not that that's in the I know bag. what you're saying, but it's not Dion yeah. coaching them. And I'm not, I'm not doubting your your premise there, yeah. but I don't know if they win seven games this next year if that's going to be the profound uh, beginning to what ends up being a top ten class. I think I think that the Dion aspect of it come play and be developed by Deion Sanders is the selling point and will continue to be the bulk of the selling point, regardless of what happens on the field this year, short of winning 10 games. Right, right. I, I think that's the selling point for, I'm just making this number up, let's say 75% of the the, the the kids that are considering Colorado, but there's also 25% who who love Dion, thinks it's cool, but yeah, I want to win. So if he goes seven and five, with seven and five with this roster, this is their sales pitch, and this is what the kids are thinking. Wow, once I get there, once this next crop, once this top 10 class gets there, then we really can. Yeah, I think turn I could around. buy that. Yeah, I, so, I don't know. I think I would say that if they won seven games, I would anticipate the recruiting class would be 10, 20% better. Yeah, I don't know if it'd be night and day. I'm um, not saying night and day. I'm saying maybe 25% better. Like 25%. But like for me, my, my success for Dion is a little bit higher than four top 100 players, I think. Is I, that, did, I was just thinking that more long-term, like four one year, six the next year, eight, and then if they continue to keep, if they win and everything's going well, I think we can see Dion signing classes that rival Georgia, Alabama, and Ohio State in four or five years, or three or four years. Yeah. I think, too, that sometimes I have irrational thoughts about how long things should take. Um, and I'm okay with that. Like I was well, irrational about USC when Lincoln Riley got hired. Yeah, yes, and I would and turn no. out to be wrong about that. No, you, you, 10, 15, 20 years ago, you, you weren't. But we, we've, I think, Bob, we, you know, this is not an original thought, but Bob Stoops ruined it for all coaches. He won a national championship in his second year at Oklahoma. We've seen quick turnarounds. Kirby Smart had a, what, they were five and, or seven and five in his first year, whatever they were. And then the next year they were, they kind of, did they make the playoff the second year? Uh, yeah. They, so, yeah, I mean, we have but seen. I gotta separate. I gotta separate my thought process from what I learned as a beat reporter too, because 
Ohio State won the national championship in year two of the Urban Meyer era uh, right. as well. Um, but I take all that aside. I mean, I'm not trying to hijack this into USC discussion, but I was incredibly disappointed by what I saw out of USC's class this past year. Like they had a few pieces uh, on defense, but for the most part, it was three really good offensive players. I think three of the four top 100 players that they signed a year ago um, were either quarterbacks or receivers, but the depth of the class, and maybe that's not Lincoln Riley's fault because, you know, defensive players and particularly on both lines are kind of weak in the state of California. But like I was picturing a 10 top 100 player nationally recruited USC class last year. And like, maybe I'm an idiot for being disappointed by that. Maybe my thoughts or my, my predictions were too ambitious. Cause like I bet as everyone knows, who listens to this feed, Andy Staples, that USC would make the playoff within the first three years of Riley's arrival. Very close. And I came very close in year one, but I didn't anticipate being right in year one. Like they had a better season on the field than I anticipated that they would have last year. I thought that they were going to sign a mega class in year one and be situated very, very well for year two and three. And that didn't happen. So now when you look at the way that USC is being built, um, they have another chance to be really good because they have Caleb Williams back in the in the current you know situation with the Pac-12. But year three, they're in the Big Ten and they're not recruiting like a juggernaut. So it's like, you know, I, I think I might end up winning the bet by default because it's going to be a 12 team playoff and they might be a top 12 team in year three. But the trajectory of USC's program, uh, when I made that bet pre expansion or, or realignment, the trajectory is not being matched. So when you say four top 100 players for Colorado, it's kind of like the successful Colorado class is the disappointing class that USC just had which means that maybe we should pump the brakes a little bit on what we actually think is attainable in the immediate future for Colorado, especially considering the fact that if he signs four top 100 players this year in a top 25 class and they win seven or eight games, there's no telling that he'll even be the coach there in two years. Um, So like I thought the transfer portal would go crazy. I thought he would get a bunch of players who just wanted to play power five football for Dion lined up. And like here we are in middle of the Mar- in middle of March, which is basically almost four months past the early signing period, or or exactly four months, and they don't have a top one hundred player committed right now. So it's like, is that what we thought was going to happen, or do we think it was going to be pandemonium? Um, and maybe the truth is somewhere in between. So I'm excited to see how it pans out, but I don't. There are better players visiting Colorado than were ever visiting before, right? And that's the point. <clears throat> And but will it is, will yeah. it manifest into more results in terms of signatures? And I don't know the answer to that because as great as Dion is, I still don't know if his mega personality and what he brings to the table from a marketing standpoint outweighs what Georgia or Ohio State or Alabama are offering. Like when, when push comes it, to shove, can a kid pull the trigger and sign with Colorado and pass up the opportunity of playing in Bryant. And we've already seen it. We've already seen it twice. We saw the number one player in the country go to an FCS school. Right. So I know it's going to happen. It has already happened. I don't know that it is going to happen enough where you're getting 10 guys in an individual class um, because that would be 10% of the top 100 players uh, that you're offering or a total top 100 players, uh, more than 10% of the ones that you're offering probably 
have to decide that playing for Dion is more important than going to an NFL factory that puts out draft picks like it's no big deal. Um, and maybe that'll be the case, but I am very curious what his first full class is going to look like. And I'm very curious to follow uh, this recruitment because I think it's going to mirror how other recruitments that are in similar situations are going to go. Yep. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not preach you and your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. A lot of quarterback movement in the past week. Story you wrote late last week. I think he had already been committed, but we had mm-hmm. written the story. Marcus, is it Davila? D-A-V-I-L-A. Or Davila. Davila, I think, is how, because okay. there's only one L. There's only one L. So Marcus Davila um, from Midland, Texas, um, not Odessa, but nearby, uh, committed to Purdue, former TCU commit. You spoke to him and his uh, quarterback coach, and you know, you don't see the West Texas to Purdue pipeline uh, very often, but kind of a unique case with with some ties there. And and um, I'm interested to see how he does at Purdue. Um, Purdue was a school that has a very rich quarterback history, which you know, for this kid, what does it matter? Maybe, maybe not. But they sell that there, and uh, you know, you can be the next great Purdue quarterback. You know, what's funny, and I didn't look this up before. I wrote the story, and I kind of feel like a jackass. But Drew Brees is from Texas. Did you know that? Yes. I didn't know where he went to high school. Austin, uh, this like, was, right? Yeah, yeah. He went. He's from Austin. So, like, I yeah. I thought it was so funny that some kid from Midland is going to end up at Purdue, and it's like, there's a difference a between West Texas, like Mid- Midland, Austin. You know, Austin's yeah. a little more. But I don't know what Austin was like in, nah, was, in 1996. It wasn't Midland. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's another another quarterback that played at Purdue from Texas. Jordan so, from Texas. Uh, Kyle Orton. Um, yeah, look at where Kyle Orton's from. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's pretty cool because this uh, is a kid who was, um, a top 350 player nationally or top from Iowa. Yeah. Top 300 player nationally, um, who was committed to TCU. And then when the offensive coordinator situation, you know, happened with Garrett Riley going to Clemson, then of course, uh, well, I think it was interesting. Kendall Bryce, it sounds like TCU didn't exactly run him off, but they were up front with him. They were looking for someone a little more mobile. The previous staff had told him that he was going to be the only quarterback in the class. And I think Kendall Bryles came in and said that they were going to sign two. So it like, sounds like it was an amicable separation. I think, I think it was, they came to a mutual understanding that it wasn't the right fit. Yeah. Um, and then Purdue goes in uh, with Graham Harrell, who has, is from Texas too. And, you know, coached at USC and, you know, has kind of been all over the place a little bit, played at Texas tech and used his Texas ties to build a relationship that he tried to start building when he was at West Virginia and close the deal. Now with, with Purdue, the, the case always goes that uh, they get an early commitment and you want to see them sign that player. Um, Ricky year, Collins from last Ricky year. Collins. From Baton Rouge. 
I don't know if that's the same thing because Collins is like literally from Baton Rouge and ended up at LSU. Um, but, you know, a top 300 player at the quarterback position from Midland, <laughs> Texas, uh, is a nice get for Purdue and, and the new coaching staff that they have there. So um, I certainly think that it's interesting to check in on these guys. And I've got to do a better job of, of writing more stories like that because I do think that the, even though Purdue isn't going to move the needle quite a bit <laughs> as much as a, a Texas or a, or a Alabama might um, understanding the genesis of how these programs are building, I think is crucial. And this is an interesting commitment for sure. Yeah. And, and not that uh, you know, I don't know Marcus, Marcus's um, Marcos's, excuse me, uh, you know, desire to stay home or come relatively close, but Texas tech has a quarterback in its class. Will Hammond from Hutt, mm-hmm. Hutto, Texas, which I don't know where that is. Um, so and, and so I will transition into a school that does have two quarterbacks, um, which Vanderbilt got Jeremy St. Hilaire, um, three-star from McCallie High School, and then last week, Witt Muschamp, the son of Will Muschamp, also from Chattanooga, which is, if you're from anywhere in this part of the country, the southeast, you'll, there's basically two boarding private schools in Chattanooga that are rivals, McCallie and Baylor, and both of those kids in the class of 2024 are going to Vanderbilt, and Grace Rayner wrote a story, talked to Witt and, and this coach, Eric Kimry, who was a quarterback at South Carolina. So, interesting, Vanderbilt goes from three quarterbacks in the class of 2022 to none in 23 to two in 24. Um, I think so that, now, that makes sense on how to build a quarterback roster. Yeah, I mean, especially since, you know, the, you know uh, A.J. Swan played as a true freshman, two of the kids redshirted. You figure they're probably both not going to Who was the one there. that I wrote about that uh, was really raw? Walter Taylor. How did he do his first year? They, they redshirted. Like they still, I mean, you're you're interviewing Barton Simmons soon. You can ask him, but I, I still yeah. think they really, really like him. And, and it was sort of the, he knew he wasn't going to play. He wasn't ready to play. And they knew he wasn't ready to play. So I'm excited true. to watch his development, though, because I love writing those stories about the guys that one coaching staff sees something in in that player that, that other coaching staffs and recruiting staffs miss. And like, how smart are they? You know what I mean? And it might right. not work out, but I love the risk taking. And I've talked about this a right. lot too. And it's like, if you're a, a place like Vanderbilt and let's say Vanderbilt signs 25 guys a year on average, I think Vanderbilt should take three players a year, maybe four. I don't know. Over a four year period, that'll be 15, but guys you roll the dice on who are just raw as hell, but have a huge upside if they ever figure it out. Because to me, you're already at the bottom barrel of the SEC when it comes to pure talent on your roster. You might as well try to take some big hacks. Yeah. I don't but know I if you agree do. with that. Maybe, no, I do. Maybe. I think Barton Simmons would agree with that. They take kids that they know and they don't care that anyone else wants. Like Walter Taylor, I think, had one, maybe it was like Akron and then and then all FCS and Division II offers. Like they they you know, he might look back in six years and be like, you know what? We we kid couldn't play here and now he's at some division two school doing well. I I Totally Especially in the era of the transfer portal, too, where if they've come up with an idea that a kid can't play, that they are very easily able to transfer uh, to a place that they will. And like Walter Taylor, if I remember correctly, was like 6'6", six, six, isn't he? Yeah. Or 6'5", 230-pound yeah, dude. Yeah. Like, I don't know. We're looking at, at a world where Anthony He's not 5'10 or something, right? No, I know. But like yeah. if you get a kid that is as athletic as him from a pure athleticism standpoint. 
who's six foot six, 230 pounds, and you're looking at the first round of the NFL draft, and Anthony Richardson might be the first player taken off the board, despite the fact he wasn't all that productive in college. <laughs> like the upside or the ceiling of that, it's kind of like not quite as extreme as the Patrick Mahomes recruitment, but like it is kind of like worth it. Because it's if, worth the if risk. Vanderbilt just, is right, right, <laughs> and they have a stud, then that could be the difference between winning eight and nine games in a season and winning two or three, which has been the norm there anyway. So I, I love, I love, uh, you know, Pete Sampson said something on the show on that you Monday hosted that stuck with me though. Must be because you're such and a good said, host. Yes, the right. No, but questions. he's. I'm trying to give him some props here. Okay. We were complaining, as I always do, about the expansion of the playoff and how people are being short-sighted about the the negative impact it's going to have. And he said the one thing as it pertains to the expansion of the playoff and college football in general um, with the realignment that is concerning to him is that right now college football is a place where every single program thinks that they haven't figured out or they have their own plan and everybody does it differently. Like the way that that Vanderbilt makes their class or makes their roster is so much different than the way that Tennessee does. And they're only a few hours away from each other, right? If college football goes to a AFC NFC situation with the sec and the big 10, I think there will become more uniformity on how these programs attack their roster building and how they approach the whole, because all the programs will be the same phase. Like you, you won't that, have the the different programs in a different league. The the Northwesterns, the Vanderbilt's, even and like the sometimes I feel like I'm nuts, Mitch. But I feel like I'm like the only one that feels impending doom with everything that's happening right now. You will like, adjust. I feel like it's not doom. I, that's I not just right I know, but I, I just feel like they are messing with the fabric of the sport too much. Right. The, the fabric like, of the sport is the, one of the reasons we like it. That it's like yes. Uh, there, there's no reason that Duke and Clemson should be competing for the same championship in the same conference than Northwestern in Ohio state, but they are. And that's what makes it fun. Like these programs are not the same. It's like, it's not professional sports where there's salary caps and everyone has the same opportunity to win and lose. I think that's what gives the sport character. Yeah. And also too, those teams have great years every now and then. Yeah. And those teams beat the big dogs. Every and that's now what and makes then. it even better. The for fan base is that they remember that. You know, and it's funny because I am so national championship focused and talent accumulation focused, but I don't want to cover recruiting if everybody recruits like Bama. I want to see if Barton, I like, I really am genuinely curious to see if Barton Simmons, who used to work at 247, is a talent scouting genius who can make Vanderbilt into a competitive football team by uncovering talents that are being misevaluated by college coaches. Like that to me is inherently interesting. And if Vanderbilt wasn't a part of that for some reason, then I think covering recruiting or talking about it takes a takes a hit. So okay, when it comes to like how fast everything's changing, because I am certainly a little bit nervous about the direction we're headed in. Yeah, just thinking out loud, I don't think we'll ever see the uniformity, like even the the powers that like let's say Vanderbilt and the Mississippi schools. I, I don't want to pick on them; they're just smaller schools. But like even. You know, South Carolina, even though they're on a recruiting high right now, that will they ever operate like Alabama? They're, you're still going to have some sort of tier system. There's still going to be programs that are better than others and have bigger budgets and recruit a different way. But, you know, that's 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 a topic we can continue to hit. Some but does co- Ohio State, Georgia, 
LSU, Alabama, Clemson, maybe not Clemson. Clemson's a little different. But the major powerhouses of the sport all kind of recruit the same way. Yes. They go attack the best players they can find, and they do their best to sign as many of them as possible. End of story. Like Clemson has their own system, and I've been critical of that system, but it has worked. Um, I don't know if there's longevity in it, but it's worked. I love that Clemson is doing it differently, and I'm excited to see if I could be proven wrong. If Clemson can win another national championship by signing a running back who ranks us out of the top 1,000. Like, I track that stuff. And when I watch games in the fall, Mitch, and I see certain players that are recognizable because of the following, I find that interesting. So, you know, yeah. I don't know if I'm annoying people or if there's people who agree with me. You find interesting stuff interesting. No, it's just too much change at once, in my opinion. It's just too much. NIL is a major fundamental shift in the sport. I'm for it. I think it's great, but it also is scary because you don't know where it's headed. Now you're adding the expansion of the playoff, and now USC's in the Big Ten. It's like, what the hell happened to the sport that I love in two years? Hey, you know what? When I met you... I hate that USC and UCLA's in the Big Ten. Ari, I hate it. When I met you, you were single. You didn't own a home, and you didn't have a kid. Was I single when you met me? You were you were had a girlfriend. Oh. But you were single, you didn't own a home, and you didn't have a kid. Now you have all three, and I still love you. Okay. And now my microwave is broken. Right. And you have your I pay windows, a lot of money for daycare. Right. Ari got arrested yesterday because his car his windows were tinted. Is Texas the only state in the entire union where you have to get your car inspected every year? I don't know. I told you Tennessee we had forever and then stopped doing it about three or four years ago. It's great. Every single year. And I got yeah. I went to go get my car inspected, and they told me that the windows were tinted too much, so I failed the safety inspection. So in order to get my registration for the next year on my car, I had to go to a window tinting place, untint or detint my windows, and then retint them to the state. How much was that? 200 bucks. Did the state pay for it? No, they didn't, and it looks worse. I'm sorry, buddy. And you weren't, you had to be out from, you couldn't do some work, right? You were you're out of the office, out of the home. I office. don't I don't I don't do work. I'm unemployed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, some more quarterback movement. Missouri. Dave uh, Daniel Kalen from Bellevue West in Nebraska, top five top five hundred player, committed to Missouri. Um, interesting about him. He's a Nebraska kid. In any other year, he might be Nebraska's number one target. But we know that there's another number one target for Nebraska, Dylan Raiola. Um, mm-hmm. So. If Daniel Kalen is leading Missouri in two or three years and, and, and having great years, great seasons, and Dylan Royola is at USC, Nebraska might look back in this and say, you know what, maybe we should have taken the local guy. But if they get Dylan Royola... I don't know Raiola, that they will ever say that. I don't know if they would ever say that. But, okay, in a different climate, 10 years ago, Daniel Kalen might be at Nebraska anyway. But now they're just, we're all programmed one quarterback yeah. per class, and I want to be the only guy in the class. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, but I just think we're in a different era now where that's just he's not going to go there if they're still recruiting the number one player in the country. Yeah, and I'm, I've DM'd uh, the kid, and I'm going to talk to him hopefully in the next day or two once his commitment uh, noise settles down a little bit. But I absolutely love that Nebraska is passing on a top 400 kid in the state of Nebraska because they are all in on the number one overall player in the class. Like to me, what Matt rule is doing uh, is exactly what anybody who takes that job should be doing. You know, how disappointing would it be if Nebraska jeopardized its chances of getting Dylan Rayola 
because they wanted to take the layup or the guy that they think they could have had. Okay, would Dylan Rayola not go there because Daniel Kalen was committed? I mean, Dylan Rayola apparently wasn't fond of some of the moves that Ohio State made in the following class or the previous class last year. Um, and I don't know that that's the reason he decommitted, but I would not do anything to so, block the boat even one So because the dude from South Dakota flipped from Washington. Lincoln Kineholtz. Yeah, from, from, flipped from Washington to Ohio State that – that affected Dylan Rayola? I don't know that it would have actually affected his ability to play. I don't know that they appreciated what happened because my understanding is that there was some angst over why the plan changed and wasn't communicated the right way. Okay, maybe that's a communication so issue. So maybe it's a communication issue. Maybe that's not what happened at all. But all I know for sure is that I would not rock the boat even 1% when we're talking about the potential of landing the number one player in the country. Like getting a four-star prospect who's committed to Mizzou right now would be a nice little get for Nebraska, but the juice is not worth the squeeze. If I were Nebraska, I wouldn't even talk to other quarterbacks until I know what Rayola is going to do. I would treat him like he is the only person that knows how to play the quarterback position until the time comes that they get him and sign him or don't get him at all. And I love the idea of swinging for the fences. And like, if you think about the monument, like I wrote about this in the mailbag, Mitch, and I don't know if you came up with any of them, but like Matt rule landing Rayola out of the gate. I can't imagine a more important or more, you know, sometimes you edit out the word program altering when I say that, but like I'm going to use it this time. Cause I think it is strong enough. What could be a more program altering commitment than that anywhere? For for a coach who's never like I know Urban got at that school Tim Tebow early on in his I don't know if he had coached a game yet or not I don't remember back that far but even so Tebow wasn't the full time starter when they won their first national title right so I don't know all I'm saying is that is a seismic shift in what we're and like if this kid doesn't have Nebraska ties no right. shot Nebraska's even on the radar. So the fact that there is a in there or a potential to get a kid of this caliber, caliber, I would not waste a second of my time tinkering with anything or anybody else until I knew for sure that I'm going to get him or I'm not going to get him. And there's no, even if it, and I, I don't know, and hopefully you'll talk to Daniel Kalen soon, I don't know his feelings or ties to Nebraska. Did his parents go there? Did he grow up an Oklahoma fan? Did he grow up a fan of somewhere else? Like if he, if he, if his dream for years was to go to Nebraska and he saw that they were recruiting Rayola, who's to say they come back to him next December and be like, Hey, you know what? We, we had to do this, but we, we, we love you. Who's to say you know, you in my play? understanding too, is that Nebraska has done a very good job communicating with him about the situation. Yeah. So, so maybe he so ends up in no class. shadiness or hard feelings right now, but yeah, I know. I mean, Nebraska hopes that he doesn't. Right. So, all right, let's, but let's, also great, but we have to also say good job, Mizzou. great job to Mizzou, you know? Yeah. Um, and when I talk to, to the prospect, I'm going to tell, or I'm going to write about both of the situations, but like Missouri has done a pretty good job at the quarterback position between Sam Horn and, and, uh, who is the, the prospect that I wrote about a few years ago, Not oh, Brady Tyler Tuck. Macon. Yeah. From East St. Louis. They ha- they've done a pretty good job of finding guys that could play the position at a high level. Um, Although I don't think Macon, I mean, he's in Macon his did third it, didn't year pan now. Out. Right. God, has it been three years since you and I I've, hooked up? Yeah, I think it'd be, he'd be in his, entering his third year. I remember and, when it, I talked to Tyler Macon on the phone, I was moving from Phoenix right. to Dallas. 
I, dr- I pulled over in some rest a- rest area in West Texas, like near El Paso. And it was like nine o'clock at night. And I like I interviewed him at that rest area. And then I drove home the rest of the way. Uh, so, yeah, he's he's pretty old now because it's been three years. Yeah. My daughter did not exist yet when that interview took place. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, but I mean, they've done they've done some good stuff. Now it's just a matter of whether it pans out or not. Well, I mean, it's like we talk about. It's like if you keep signing for Missouri, if you keep signing top 300 ish quarterbacks every year, one of them's going to be good. And, you know, maybe yeah. it's Sam. We, and by the way, let's, we talked Sam Horn a couple of weeks ago when we were going to dive more into this. He's pitching for Missouri and evidently he left a game with an arm injury and it looked bad, like forearm, like you think Tommy John, all that, but he's out. They were going to hope only keep him out three or four weeks and maybe return for SEC play. I know you're excited. SEC baseball starts this weekend. Um, so he might be back for SEC, but it didn't seem like anything long term. And then we were talking, it's like, now, why would you do this? But hey, maybe his future's in baseball, not football. So, you know, he's. I mean, I, like, I read updates that Horn was throwing at Missouri's football practice. So. Okay, good, good. I mean, and that I he's assume. going to potentially participate in their scrimmage this weekend. So, um, yeah, I hope to see him actually. Will I see him in person? No. I mean, there's better. clips of him participating in Mizzou's fall camp, or I mean, spring ball. Yeah. Okay, practices. good. So, good. So he's back. Looks um, like he's okay. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, so we did a little exercise on our own. There are the last 10 college basketball national champions who also play FBS football, so like Villanova doesn't count. In alphabetical order are Baylor, Duke, Florida, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, North Carolina, Syracuse, Virginia, UConn. Some of those schools have won too. Ari and I both ranked those 10 schools in our opinion, the likelihood of them winning a football national championship, and we don't know each other's rankings, so we'll go one at a time. I you bet g- you that th- I bet you they're identical. I don't think they're identical. I found this to be very easy. I did not find this to be very easy. I think okay. our number one. Do you one want to start in- from one or start yes. from ten? Let's start from one. Florida. Florida. Two. Who's North your- Carolina. Okay, I had North Carolina number two as well. Three. Kentucky. I had Louisville. They have been great at times, and I think their path is easier. They have Lamar Jackson. Right. I think they've got a very good coach in Jeff Brown. If Braum. they go recruit Lamar Jackson again, I guess. I think their path is easier. I don't think they're a better program than Kentucky. I want to, okay? Do you think their path is easier than Baylor's? I've got Baylor four. Baylor's my four. I've got Kentucky five. Okay. I have Louisville five. Okay, so we have the same top five, couple yes. different order. My six my might surprise six is, you. My six is Virginia. I have Kansas. Love the coach in the path. Love the coach I have Virginia the path. seven. Virginia's just been so bad, and they're not recruiting yeah. very well at all. I've I'm got, just trying to think of like national championship. I, well, I mean, we don't think any of these programs are going to win a national championship. No, I know, but I'm just trying to think like Virginia. Kansas was probably has in, a more consistent potential from a recruiting base to yes, build they a do. national championship roster. 
I like Kansas' um, coach a lot more. And I have Kansas 8. I've got Duke 8. And then I have got Duke 9. I got Syracuse 9. No, I skipped something. I'm, I skipped something. I've got UConn 10. I've got UConn, UConn 10, yeah. Syracuse 9, Duke yeah. 8, Kansas 7, Virginia 6. That's right. Okay. Because we're the yeah. same top five. But yeah, okay. that's that's it is an interesting look into like Florida is the clo- right. Florida yeah. is the closest team that uh is a blue blood in both. Well, no, Texas Although, I would say Texas, Texas yeah, Texas. They're t- they're a top Alabama. Two seed. Oh yeah, maybe Alabama we we forgot about them. And then I know Ohio State, I covered their basketball team when I was in my 20s and they're, they went to the Final Four a few times, and they lost to Florida in the national championship game. And I was there. It was 05 or 06. Were you there? Oh, where was I where? I was at, at the Florida. when that happened. Okay, I was at the game. It was at the uh, Georgia Dome. Why would I? Oh, no, no. I was still in college. Yeah, I realize um, that now. Um, yeah, I was there. The uh, best Ohio State basketball team that ever existed lost in the Sweet 16 to Kentucky. And I can't remember what year that They're was. They all blend together. It was 2011. It was a year where they had David Lighty, John Diebler, Jared Sullinger, uh, Aaron Kraft, like that that team. William Buford was on that team. It was a really, really good basketball team. Yeah, and that's a, that is a very good program. And it's a very, very desirable right now. It's a very desirable coaching position because it's a great program. You can win elite. You can win an elite level, and it does not have the same pressure as Ohio State football coach. Yeah, I think like being the head coach of a Power Five basketball team at a football school is a really good job for for the, with the right ego. Like it's not for everyone. Like, yeah, it's like, you know, you're the second game at your university, but right. also know that you could, that you could recruit a team that could win a national championship there, but also not have the pressure of, if you don't, then you're a loser. Although, uh, Ohio state fans are not happy with Chris Holtman right now. So, right. Know, well, I, I think it's, it's combination of their lack of tournament success. And then this, like if they, if they'd lived up they to stink. the hype, they stunk this year, except except in the Big Ten tournament. Um, Did they lose as a as a fifteen or a two seed or a three seed two years ago to Oral Roberts? Yeah, I think so. I don't um, know. I think they were a two seed. They might have been. You know, I think it might have been two fifteen. Are you? Uh, do you have your turn? We're recording this Wednesday. Are you? Uh, you got your tournament bets lined no, up I don't, yet? I, I don't have the bets lined up, but I don't even do a bracket. Okay, no, I'm not talking about a bracket. I don't care who you picked. I'm talking about your bets. I, I have a bet that I put in. A few months ago, for Miami to win it at forty-five to one. So oh I'm a wow! Big Miami fan this weekend. Did you uh, bet on the first four of the NIT last? I night? did. Yes, I what bet Pittsburgh live plus five. So I hit that. Ooh! Uh, I should have told you to bet on Vanderbilt over Yale. It was it was as you say easy the money. Spread uh, four. It was only four. Yeah, Yale's good. Yale's good. What um, was the final score? I think nine or eleven. But you know what? I that's, I pulled an Ari. I said it was easy money after the fact. Like I didn't tell you. To do I don't it want to hear how easy it was when the game's over. I want to. <laughs> you hear do how that easy a lot. You do that a lot. You say it was free money. You tell me. It's but free I'm the money only after the one. Fact. I'm the only one that actually participates. <laughs> right. So like, if you think something's easy money, tell me before it happens so that I can participate. Okay. Don't tell me how easy it was after when I didn't have the the knowledge of it. I didn't even know that Vanderbilt was playing. Gotcha. Last time I saw Vanderbilt play, the other team shot 88% from the floor. So I, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know if it's just me, but I kind of feel like let's make a bracket of something is kind of tacky because everybody does it. So I'm happy that we didn't do that. Yeah. Um, but I am excited to watch it. 
I'm very relieved that you're going on vacation on Thursday, so you'll leave me alone while the games are run. Um, and I'm I'm just excited. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be in the car for a lot of it, so hopefully I'll find yeah. it on the radio. And um, not texting me. Right. No, I can still... I can voice message you. I can just call yeah, you. Yeah, I guess you could, yeah. Um, All right, do we have trivia today? No, or we're, did you, did you? we're not done. Oh. Are you trying to get rid of me? Sorry. Yeah, come on. I feel like we've been on here for an hour already. Well, you called me earlier for like 20 minutes while you were just driving around when I was trying to work. I got a question for you. Is Mississippi the new Alabama? I don't know what that means. It's, it's sort of a tease. I'm going to get into it. Right, oh, come on, play okay. the game. Yes. Remember, remember Alabama last year, how good it was for talent? It was like the best year ever. Oh, the state of Mississippi. Yes. I thought you meant is Ole Miss going to be Alabama. No. Uh, so the class of 2024, state of Mississippi has 13 blue chippers. Last year, they had seven. 11 and 22, so that's a good year, but seven and 21, six and 20. 2019 didn't come up for some reason. It was a little wonky on the site. And then four in 2018. So this looks like a banner year. How many of them are top 100? Rankings changed. You look it up while I'm talking. But so 13 blue chippers in 2024. Two of them are committed. J.J. Harrell, a wide receiver, ranked number 100 overall to Tennessee. And Noreal White, the 10th player in the state, just committed. He's an athlete (laughs) to Arkansas. So only two of the blue chippers are committed right now. None to the in-state But White's only uh, 350-ish. Right, but he's he's still a blue chip. Alabama had like eleven top one hundred players last year. Yeah, it was in, it was crazy. So so how many uh, top one hundred guys do they have? In it was insane, wasn't it? Yes, two. There's only two. Yeah. So a lot of guys in the two hundred and once committed to uh once committed to Tennessee. Tennessee. Already. JJ uh, Harrell. I just said that. Yeah, I know, but you didn't say what he was ranked. Uh, okay. yeah, I did actually. I said a hundred. <laughs> There are five top 200 players. Okay. So, there, so, so not as good as Alabama, there. but it's a good year for the state of Mississippi. Yeah, it's a good. Yeah, no, let's see if Lane Kiffin, the portal king, can can get some of that. Yeah. Um, I want to bring up Michigan. Sure. Seven commits in the class of 2024, ranked number mm-hmm. five. Your mm-hmm. favorite set. Still no top 100 guys. That could change mm-hmm. if Jaden Davis commits. Their highest ranked guy is number 146 athlete Jacob Odin from Harper Woods, Michigan. But here's something that's important. The average player rating of 90.25 is uh, quite a bit higher than last year's class of 88.97. So still don't have yeah, the elite Yeah, and I would talent. hope that would be the case when they have seven players in their class. Yeah. So it's okay. easier so, to have yeah, a I hear me. Average. I'm trying to bring up Michigan. And you're just shooting them down. I'm typical, not shooting them down. I, typical, I want them typical Michigan Is an Ohio hater, State right? flag waving in your, in, the, in your office? Do you have anything Ohio State in there? I can't find one. Okay. A lot of pictures of games that Ohio State played in from various stadiums, but if you'll actually look right there yeah, is Michigan Stadium. Okay, there right you go. There, framed right above my head. Okay, good. Big House is a fun stadium to go. Great it game is. meal, too. Really? I've been once as a I also um, think Detroit is fan. incredibly underrated as a city. It's. I've heard that. I like it a lot. I've heard that. I went There's to casinos the... Uh, there. This is way before your time, but I went to the Michigan-Michigan State game in 91 visiting a friend from high school. It was a famous game because Michigan State won, I think, 28-27. Michigan goes for two on the final play of the game to win it, and Desmond Howard got mauled by a Michigan State defensive back, and they didn't call the penalty in the end zone. So correct me if I'm wrong, any Michigan or Michigan State fans out there, uh, but I think that was what happened. But But you were at the game. Yeah, enjoyed the game. It was was 30 years ago. I was in college. so what are those funny. binders behind you? Uh, a bunch of Athlon sports magazines and some Vanderbilt hustlers. Um, hustlers. 
Funny you got story. hustlers bound in yeah. your house. Yeah, funny story from that game. So I was at the game visiting a friend from high school. I had my Vanderbilt sweatshirt on. Vanderbilt was playing at Auburn that day. And at halftime, they were announcing scores of the loudspeaker. And they're like, and at halftime, Auburn, 56. Vanderbilt, nothing. And I stood up with my Vanderbilt sweatshirt, put my arms up like I am now. And someone threw like a hot dog at me or something like that. <laughs> were you upset? I mean, I wasn't surprised. It was, and it's kind of crazy to know that, like in that era, that's the only way you could have known what the score is. Right? Yeah, I could have called Sports yeah. Line. There was like there was a number you could call, but yeah, I wasn't getting on my phone. There was a check. number that would give you sports scores back then. Yeah, I used to call all the time in high school. I was a huge Alabama basketball fan in high school in New Jersey. Uh, my dad went to school there. It's so like in the eighties. Alabama was really good in basketball. I used to call Sports Line all the time to get college basketball scores. Nine seven six one three one three in New York. How do they know? The wire, you know, like the AP wire or whatever. It wasn't like some dude like Kramer. Did you have to pay for that? I was like 13. It, was, it wasn't much. Like It was never got to the point where my dad was like, hey, stop calling that number. It's too expensive. You had I to think, pay to figure out what the score was in the middle of the game? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Um, How did live betting work back then? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it existed back then. When um, I look at the live betting updates on... Uh, my computer because you, you know they they constantly update throughout yeah, the game. I understand what live betting is. They update five minutes before I see what happens eventually on streaming, and I feel like I'm in 1983. Yeah, I've not. That's one reason I've not cut the cord. I don't want to be behind. But even then, it 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 updates like 30 seconds before you see it. So if you're watching the live update or the live betting lines you know whether a team has scored or not before you see it on your TV because it's instantaneous. Yeah. And I've always wanted to know, like, who is doing that? No, I've always thought that might be an interesting story because, like, I don't – like, are they – when they're doing – like, okay, let's say basketball is a good example. If, if there's – if Arizona is a 10-point favorite over Vanderbilt and Arizona – Vanderbilt goes up 7-2, but Arizona's had, like – Four straight wide open shots and a guy missed a dunk. Like they're playing great. They're playing great offense. Does the live scoring, the live it's only lines, scoring, the live bet, does, it only affects. So like the per, they're I not. I think it's no, an algorithm. I think okay. it knows that's like this is a, a you team know what I'm saying though, like favored if, by if, X number of points and the score right. is this at this time. What should the new spread be? But if a human were doing it, which I can't do for every game, you could say, oh it yeah, might this be team different. This yeah. team is up, but it's clear they're getting great shots and they're going to start. Which to is go why in. you're searching for value. I don't know. Right. The one thing I don't know is how do injuries impact it? Because like I was watching the live line for the San Francisco 49er NFC Championship game. And they were playing the Eagles, obviously. And you remember when Purdy got hurt, they didn't have a quarterback. Right. Which and I don't hurts. think the algorithm took into account that they couldn't throw a forward <laughs> pass. So there was Stupid money to algorithm. be made there. Uh, and it was pretty great. It was a great day for me. Because it was just Sorry, like... Sorry, every day is a great day for you, buddy. No, I know. But I, I, paid, I, I paid for more <laughs> than my window tinting that day. <laughs> okay. Like, well, the second half line of that was was, I think that... Uh, San Francisco was favored by a half a point because they were down so much. And I was like, they can't even, they can't get a first down right now. And then I remember like Philly scored once or twice more. And then they brought Purdy back into the game and the man, they weren't even attempting to throw it. Remember that drive where it was like, you're down by 21 with the entire quarter left and they're running halfback dives every play because yeah, they had no options. They, the live betting mechanism didn't take into account that. Not ideal. Right. Yeah. 
you're trying to score okay, points. Okay, so do we have trivia? No, not yet. <laughs> Got a, mail, a couple mailbag questions. I just want to read about the financial crisis that's happening in the world right now, and you're keeping me, you're keeping me at this podcast. Oh, I thought maybe you wanted to get back to work. No. I'm going to try this again. I thought you wanted to get back to work. I don't, know. <laughs> this is from your, your mailbag the other day. Go read it. Um, and the fantasy. Go read it. <laughs> and we, we, read Are you it. talking to me or the audience? Uh, some, whoever's listening at this point. Um, we've, we've answered this question in many different ways on podcasts and in written word. But in the fantasy world where all programmed histories are erased and everybody is equal, what are the three best and worst campus locations for recruiting in 2023? And I, I made we, a mistake. You did? Mm-hmm. Okay. Your, your three were Georgia Tech, one, uh, Miami, two, Houston, three. Yeah, those were correct. I, okay. I would stand by those. Then the worst ones were? Syracuse, Washington State, Oregon State. Yeah. Oregon State is actually closer to Portland and Seattle than Oregon, so Oregon should be on that list. Because you're wiping away everything. Yeah, okay. But is I, I'm thinking out loud here. I don't think I wouldn't call either of them big, but is does Eugene produce more players? Like that's where I uh, don't know the answer to that. Yeah, question. so like is Eugene so. is Eugene bigger? If it's bigger than Corvallis, then I think you could argue that Oregon. I think that the point is is that it's easier to get to Corvallis than it is to Eugene. Okay. Did you consider UCLA or USC over one of those three for the worst spots? No, dumbass. One of the the best spots. I did, but they don't have linemen. Yeah. Okay. And I don't think that LA is more is deeper than any of those uh, three. Any of the other three. Why didn't you say Rice over Houston? We should have looked at a map to see if Rice is closer. I could to have some, said Rice. Um, Rice is nice. You ever been there? Yes. Nice campus. Uh, Houston is in Houston, though. So is Rice. No, I know, but like, isn't Rice kind of in Houston more suburby? I mean, it's in it's more of like suburban ish neighborhood, but it's in Houston. I'd, yeah, I've only I guess been to suburban. Houston's, would a suburban-ish neighborhood be better than being in downtown? I, I mean, it just depends how close you are to certain high schools. But at that point, it doesn't really matter. Like, I don't you're know. Gonna, you're going to ask I don't know Houston. Con about this. I'm not a Houston. Oh yeah, person. Like, so, like, okay, put it, I bought my car there. If if I know if if you that was had tinted, if you had a limited budget for travel and gas as a coaching staff, or you could only spend like a thousand dollars in gas. Maybe it'd be better to be at one Houston school than the other because it's closer to the suburbs where all the, the like the, the all the great high schools are. Or the where, whatever I'm sure I'm sure you could argue one or, or over the other there. But it's like you could have said Texas A and M, but they're further away. But that's basically Houston. That's an hour. But you're away, not right? in the city. Yeah, no, definitely yeah. Rice and Houston would be better. Um, uh, um Miami. Miami is great, but it's also once you get. I almost said Florida. Miami's better. But Florida, if you're, it's closer to like Georgia and Atlanta. Because Florida can recruit Miami's Miami, far from no a lot problem. of problems. Yeah. Miami's kind of cut off at the bottom of, the, of, of South Florida. Right. Whereas Florida can has access to South Florida, but also is closer to the South. Did you know the University of South Florida is not? I didn't South until like two years ago. I know. Were you the one that caught that error? Uh, I think so. Yes. Yeah. It makes no sense that it's called South Florida, but it's in Tampa. Yeah. Well, it's like North, Mich- isn't Michigan's fight song Florida. say something about something about the West? So you know, yeah, it happens. They are um, from Eric D. One more question. 
and then you can go read about the financial stuff after you get, <laughs> after you get some work done. If coaches had a wand that allowed them to make one permanent change to the rules in recruiting, what would they change and why? This is going to be in Grace's mailbag, uh, which will be published Thursday morning. Um, so it'll be out there. It would certainly be something to do with the calendar. I said being able to sign kids to letters of intent whenever they want, like within reason, like not not. When I don't think that every coach thinks that, though. No, I know. The point is, and, and Grace and I talked this through, I think a lot of coaches would. The top coaches do not because they want to flip kids late. Like Nick Saban does not want that. He wants Caden Proctor available at the last minute. But I think Iowa, but I think every would, coach Iowa would love would, to have that. I think every coach would universally like to make more guidelines into the calendar, though. Right, yeah. For more work-life balance. Right. Like they want your work-life balance where you don't work much. Do you think um, I don't work much? Because you've no. made that joke like six times now. <laughs> And I don't want people to think on, on here that I don't work much. No, I think you work a lot. I work okay. <laughs> I put in my solid 40. 39 and a half? 39 and a half sometimes. Okay. Ready for some trivia? It averages out because during the football season, it's like 60. Right. Ready for some trivia? Yeah. How many hours does Ari Wasserman work a week? Over the Is that like annually? Yeah. 39 and a half-ish. Okay. How many of the top 10 quarterbacks from the class of 2021 have started a game for another school, not the school they signed with? You said 2021? I said 2021. Oh, who was in the 2021 class? I'm trying to remember. Um, they were, they are in their one third player, year. Right? They're, heading, they're entering their third year of college. Uh, Quinn Ewers was one and Caleb Williams was two. So that's two. Yes. Uh, <clears throat> a lot of them have left. I don't know if they've started. Uh, three, I'll say. Your trivia expertise has improved dramatically since we the first only three that show. I could think. Is that the correct answer? Yes. Jackson Dart, Caleb Williams and uh, Quinn, Quinn Ewers. Bang, you got it. But a lot of them, a lot of them have uh, changed schools, though. Right, like but the point Sam is, Heward they've only been is, in college for two years, and three of the top ten have already started for their second school. So, like, it's yeah, just, Jackson Dart was number ten, by the way. Who we, I yeah. still maintain, we discovered. Yeah, there's some good quarterbacks in that class. But Tyler Buckner is he? He's still in Notre is Dame. He, he's still in Notre Dame. Got hurt. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know if there was movement incoming with him. Yeah, I don't think so. I think he's still there. Sam Heward left. He, he uh, left. He Brock Vandegrift is still at, at Yeah, Sam Georgia. Heward will start, a, in theory, at Cal Poly this year. If he did not does not start at Cal Poly, then someone made an egregious mistake with his ranking, and he made an egregious mistake with his where his decision to transfer to. And Ty Thompson's still on Oregon's roster, right? Uh, is he? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening to the latest edition of Stars Matter. We will talk to you next week.